0: Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 3. And we have come in our study in John's gospel to verse 11. In John chapter 3, Jesus Christ. The one who is the word who became flesh in John 1. And before he became flesh, he made everything. This great one, our God and creator and savior, now a man and his ministry having been started, having been introduced by John the Baptist, designated as the harbinger of the Christ, the one designated by heaven and the only one to introduce the Christ of God into the world and define his ministry in his first coming by the simple introduction, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This same one, Christ, the Lord is teaching salvation. All of what we're into right now is the record of a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. So let's, let's backtrack just a, a little bit. Nicodemus comes by night to Jesus because Jesus, while in Jerusalem for the Passover, was performing many signs. And it said that people were believing on him, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew man. That's what it said in earlier verses. Well, Nicodemus is one of those to whom he would not have entrusted himself. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, remember the Sanhedrin, he was the teacher. In Israel. He is the top scholar of Judaism. But this guy, Nicodemus, is confused and frankly afraid. He didn't admit it, but Jesus uncovered it. Jesus knew. And so he comes by night and says to Jesus, we know that you are from God because nobody could have done these things that you did, these miracles. Jesus doesn't even address what Nicodemus is saying out loud. Jesus goes right to his heart. And he says, unless you are born anew from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. Gets right to it. So what Jesus has laid out here that leads us into this text in his initial dialogue with Nicodemus, number one, you don't have anything to do with your salvation. This is something that comes from above you didn't have anything to do with your physical birth and you don't have anything to do with your spiritual birth so this is this is a, a a divine thing it comes from above god saves you cannot save yourself there is no work there is no accomplishment there is no behavior there is no code to follow there are no lines to memorize unless you're born anew from above, you won't see the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and he says, after speaking about being born anew from above, he says, you have to be born of water and of the spirit. We talked, we went all, Jesus is talking to an Old Testament scholar, the premier Old Testament scholar, the teacher in Israel. So, Nicodemus would have understood, should have understood what Christ was talking about. We went to some of those Old Testament uh, scriptures, you remember, about God's promise to cleanse with water and then to give a new heart, a new spirit. And we looked at two or three verses, and there were many others. That, but we just hit the highlight, highlighted ones, I guess. So what he's saying is, except that you're cleansed from above and the Holy Spirit regenerates you, you won't see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God. Well, this dismantles the religious world of Nicodemus. His whole life had been based on his obedience to the law, his, his attention to the details of the Pharisaical teachings which were developed into the Talmud and the Mishnah and all that. So everything that he's lived for, he even identifies with it with his garb that he puts on, the tassels and the phylacteries and all those things and the way he dressed and how people would get out of his way when he came by and they naturally expected it because they were so religious and this was his life, human righteousness, works, salvation. But I'll tell you something, the teacher in Israel knew his Bible and if you read your Bible and you read it and study it and read it and study it, you will come to this conclusion, There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Even in the Old Testament, we saw that. So Jesus knew that he was struggling with his salvation. His great desire to be a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus simply told him, you're not part of it. It's not something that you can do. It is something that comes from above, and you have nothing to do with it. Nothing. So we will look here at this first slide, and we can call this dullness. Human flesh is incapable of itself to receive what comes from above. That's why as I have gone along, I used to get so frustrated with people who would read the Bible and they would have some kind of crazy, crazy thought, you know, about what the scripture is saying. If you're spiritually dead, you, you can't receive the scripture. You know, it, it's just a, a blob of words. It doesn't speak to you. The scripture lives. It's a living thing, we're told in Hebrews. It's alive, it, and it it divides the soul from the spirit. And it's something... That speaks to and acts upon those who are spiritually alive. If you're spiritually dead, the Bible doesn't mean anything to you. I used to get so angry and frustrated at people who just didn't believe the Bible or scoffed at it or tried to make it fit into some overall philosophical uh, scenario But I've come to realize that such people just are dead. They can't know what it says. They don't have the spiritual conversation that people who are born anew from above can have, regenerated people. So this is what Christ is saying to Nicodemus. And here's, here, is the, here is the inroad to teaching salvation. Salvation, teaching number one, it ain't you. It's God. It's not from your power. You remember we quoted John 1, I think it was verse 13. Those who are born not of blood, in the case of Nicodemus, to claim kinship to Abraham, you're not born of blood. You're not born of the will of the flesh nor those who are born of the will of man but those who are born of the will of God. When someone is saved, it is God's will that that person be saved. The great teaching to Nicodemus is, and this, you see, a person has to be dismantled with regard to self righteousness before he can begin to understand and this is really a divine visitation itself for a person to be convinced that he has no power within himself to save himself there's not a thing it's not a how to thing it's not two step five step process or whatever it's just god doing something that God has determined to do from before the foundation of the world. That's how helpless we are in this whole thing. Now we pick up here in verse 11. Truly, truly, okay, first of all, being born anew from above. The passage we've just finished, first 10 verses, that's mentioned I think five times. But now, seven times, from verses 11 through 21 The word is belief, to believe. Something initiates from above. Something first happens from above. And then, according to the will of God, it happens upon whom God will have it to happen upon. Remember what Jesus said about the Spirit, the wind? You can't tell the wind where to blow. You don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going. So it is with the Spirit of God, Christ said. Okay, now. Belief is the gift of God that comes upon those whom he calls into faith. You can't conjure up faith in and of yourself. The Bible teaches us Faith is a gift. Now you don't think about these things when God gloriously saves you. But you study your Bible and the more you realize it's all of God and none of me. And this makes us humble before God. It makes us rejoice. It enriches our worship experience. Because I have always been on God's mind. Truly, truly I say to you. That what we know We speak. Now, that's an editorial we. Christ, of course, is speaking of himself. But the overall doctrine of salvation, of course, course, is inclusive of the Father and the Spirit. That what we know, we speak. This is not secondhand information. This is something I know. It's not something I know about. It's something I know. Only Christ can say this. And we bear witness to what we have seen, and you people do not receive our witness. You see the, uh, the uh, that's in the second person plural. So it goes from the singular, which is I say to you, which is Nicodemus, and it goes to the second person plural, and y'all, Do not receive our witness. Remember earlier when the Bible said. Just a few verses earlier. Christ did not entrust himself to them. That's because Christ still knew. That they didn't have any concept. Of the salvation of God. They all thought they were children of Abraham. They were self-righteous. They obeyed the law. They did all these things. Thus we're automatically qualified for the kingdom, for heaven. But in his first coming, Christ must dismantle that. Everyone who enters into the kingdom of heaven begins by feeling unworthy and helpless. Nothing I can do. No strength within myself. Nothing on this earth, nothing in this world. Now that's religion. Religion will cause you to behave and work and, and define morality with you. And may I say that human defined morality changes from decade to decade. The definition for the world today regarding morality is not the same definition it was 20, 30 years ago. So the human standard is always changing, which means that it is not absolute truth, you see. The scripture never changes. It is absolute truth. The scriptures. Jesus says. What I'm bearing witness to. Is what I've been in. What I have seen. I happen to know. You go to the revelation. And the awesome throne room. Upon which is seated. The lamb. And his brilliance. He has a girdle that shines like gold, brighter than the sun and his feet are burnished bronze and there's a rainbow around him and he sits on this perfect throne and great awesome power exudes from his presence at the pinnacle of the New Jerusalem. Just before that there is the altar of incense where the the prayers of the saints are gathered. There in God's heaven there is a temple that will cease to exist in the new heaven, a new earth. But things have to be attended to and there are five massive urns that are collecting And at the end of all things, one after another, there are seven, I'm sorry, seven, and one after another, they'll be poured out on the earth as judgment. This This is where Christ is. Christ considers the saints of God who may have already become to be gathered there. They aren't there because they worked themselves there. They are there by the grace of God. They humbled themselves before God. They, were, they recognized their inability to save themselves and understood that God drew them into his salvation. Christ has just come from that place, you see. We bear witness to what we've seen, and you people do not receive our witness. A dullness to receive. This is a teaching of salvation. And the teaching of salvation has to start with the utter helplessness of the worshiper. How do the Beatitudes go? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Tos, the Greek word, it's the harshest word in the Greek language for Poverty. It speaks of a helpless person, limp and paralyzed before the world, unable to work, unable even to lift a hand to collect alms, totally, absolutely helpless and incapable of anything. That's how you have to be spiritually. This is what God does to us. When God brings his salvation upon us. The first thing he does is make us aware of our total unworthiness. So this is the way it's beginning from Christ to Nicodemus. A guy who, if anybody in the world thought he was worthy, it would have been Nicodemus. If other people in the world thought anybody was worthy to go to heaven, it would have been they thought it was Nicodemus. But Nicodemus didn't think Nicodemus was ready. That's why he's troubled in his heart. And he comes to Christ. And Christ says, I'm telling you what I know. From the very scene of heaven itself. And you people do not receive our witness. Though this to me is an indictment upon the people to whom he has already preached. And had already been teaching Back in the Passover earlier Verses in the previous chapter That's why the Bible says He didn't entrust himself to everybody Because he knows what's in the heart Of man Christ knows the heart You're not going to fool Christ Regarding salvation Now I'll call this slide Christ's challenge to unbelief. So Christ says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, there's that word. How will you believe if I tell you the heavenly things? And no one has gone up into heaven except the one having come down out of heaven, the son of man. You can't even connect the dots with regard to your inability to be spiritually reborn. I've told you about birth, and you know that you're helpless. You had nothing to do with your physical birth. If you understand that, why can't you understand that you have nothing to do with your spiritual birth? Absolutely nothing. How are you going to believe if I tell you the heavenly things? Christ makes this remarkable statement. The son of man has come down out of heaven to tell you heavenly things. Salvation is from above. Salvation is a gift of God. You can't can't believe until you understand you are visited upon from above. I was 10 years old. I came, I, I received Christ. I prayed to receive Christ that week in my Daddy knelt with me. He was my pastor at the time. I couldn't have understood all this as a little boy. But as I have grown and matured in the faith and as I have become a student of scripture and read it over and over again, and then the older I get, the more I reflect upon my life and how sorry I am. How totally useless And sinful I am. The more I have become completely and absolutely convinced. I don't deserve it. I know I couldn't work for it. But I know he came to me and saved me. And it was all of grace. The grace of God. That's it. That's the story of my salvation. I'm saved by grace. By grace, God enlightened me to something I would have never conjured up from my own mind and heart. That I am a lost sinner. That I'm no good. That I am part of a fallen race that is hopeless without the intervention of God. Who graciously intervenes as he sees fit. And the longer I live, the more I realize how unworthy I am. And it's only by the grace of God. This comes from heaven. I look back now and I I think God did something for me that I could have never done for myself. God awakened me to the truth of my worthlessness and his worthiness of my lostness and his salvation. And God drew me. I was in the presence of cousins and people that I knew and grew up with that didn't matter. God drew me to himself. And I came by faith to Christ. And the longer I live, the more I realize that God, the Father, had arranged for this in all of eternity. And according to his will, at the appropriate moment in time, called me to himself. And now here I That's why your salvation is so precious. We went through Ephesians not long ago, and we just didn't realize We learn in Ephesians, we don't understand fully or completely appreciate the position or power that we have in Christ because God has placed us in Christ. We don't fully appreciate that. We live in tumultuous times today. The world is spinning out of control, unlike I could have ever dreamed, on a moment by moment basis. Just when I think I couldn't be any more disappointed, uh -uh, I get more disappointed. Just when I think I couldn't get any more shocked, I get shocked a little more. And God places us in these times as believers to make us appreciate more who we are in Christ. We may face some kind of earthly persecution, I don't know, but we're invulnerable to these things because we're in Christ. Christ knows what we can do, what we can't do, and Christ will be glorified in us. That's our job, and He makes it so. You see, the Son of God says, I'm now the Son of Man, I've come down out of heaven. No one has ever done this before. I'm bringing you fresh from heaven the story of salvation. Number one, it's not of you. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. It comes from above. Number two, you must be born anew from above. Number three, you must be supernaturally cleansed by heaven's power. And then the spirit, as he sees fit, will come to you. As he sees fit. Now that happened to me. And the longer I live, the more I rejoice in it. Because the more I realize I had nothing to do with it. It was all of God and not of me and to think that he would think of me. This will be a pursuit of mine in all of the ages to the ages. Tell me more of grace. Why did you write my name in that book before there ever was a foundation to anything? Why? And the more I'll study it, the more I will see the greatness of God. His greatness will continue to expand in my mind. Forever and ever and my glory for him, my glorifying him will increase and grow into the ages of the ages. This is by the will, design and purpose of God. And so those of us who are here today, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. How thankful we should be. That God, for whatever reason, saved us. Enlightened us to the fact that we were sinners. We are sinners. Drew us to himself and brought us into his will when we would have never by our fallen will... Crawled into His will, the great will of God. You see, what He does is He opens our minds, He puts us in the light, and the light exposes the awful critters of the darkness, and they run and hide. And it's a no brainer. I'm going to go to the light, I'm the source of the light, the great power of God. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't know anything about salvation unless heaven teaches it to you. And I happen to be the one sent from heaven. And I've come. And you can't, you can't believe unless you start out understanding that it's from heaven and not from you. That's where it starts. So then finally. Simple faith. Just believe in Christ. As Moses, we go by what numbers 21 is it? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So the children of Israel are suffering. These little poisonous snakes were coming from everywhere. Out from under every rock and crack in the earth. And from the weeds and grasses. You go to sleep in your tent at night, and they start crawling all around your feet. They're everywhere, and they're biting people, and poisonous snakes are biting them, and it hurts, and they're dying. And so what does God say? Make a likeness of that serpent. Put it on a pole, and lift it way up high, and let me tell you what'll happen. You tell the people what's happened and tell them to look at the one who has been lifted up. Just look. And they'll be saved. They'll be healed from the sting and bite of the serpent. And they'll be delivered from its power. And they only had to deal with that once, you know. So Christ says to the teacher of Israel who probably had the Torah memorized so he goes to the book we call it the book of Numbers as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness thus it behooves the son of man to to be lifted up. Now he's talking about First of all being the one lifted up on the cross he's already said earlier destroy this temple I will rebuild it he's already talked about his death and his burial and his resurrection he's already he's already beginning to teach the people that he's got to die he makes a reference to it again but he goes a little further It behooves the Son of Man to be lifted up. This is the will of my Father. I'm headed to the cross. I'm headed to a pole where I'm going to be lifted up. But I'll tell you, it's going to be such a great thing that all people are going to have to do is look at me. Consider the Christ. Behold the man. And be saved so that everyone believing in him may have eternal life. Faith. Now here it comes from above. I'm convicted. Something comes upon me. And I've come to realize that I'm headed for hell. Just like Nicodemus he's disturbed. He has no place in the kingdom. And Jesus teaches him salvation. It'll never happen, Nicodemus, unless it comes from above. It's not gonna come from you, it's gonna come from above. This is the only way that it happens. And that wind will blow. And it just may blow on you. I can't control that. You can't control that. I've told you many times I've preached in revivals where I knew that there were dozens of lost people Preach the same sermon. Everybody hears the same thing. But of the dozens who were there who came just for the free pizza or whatever, one or two or three from here and there and there. Would recognize their unworthiness and fall under God's conviction and be drawn by God into their salvation. Now, what was the difference? They all heard the same thing the wind blows where it will. Don't ask me to explain that. I'm just glad it blew on me. And this is my life to be thankful, to be worshipful, to be grateful. To an eternally sovereign God. Who for some reason saved me. Drew me to himself. And I preach that same wonderful message to everybody. Jesus saves. If you came to a point in life that you had faith. It is because God gave you that faith. That's a visitation from God. That's, That's the wind. That's the spirit of God. Focusing on you. In the crosshairs of God's spirit rifle. This is what he's teaching. And he said because of this and because no one is worthy the son of man has to go and be lifted up. This is what I came for. I'm headed to the cross. It behooves I'm crushed to be moved To the cross because no one else could do it but him, so that everyone believing in him may have eternal life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came into this world to save sinners. Of whom I'm chief. The Bible says that if you will admit that you're a sinner. You can only do that. By the divine visitation. Who convicts you. If you'll admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus and call on him to save you. Because the Bible says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. Then God will save you in Christ's name. Those of us who are believers have celebrated the life and death and power of Christ over sin. He has saved us. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. He's coming again for us. And I think very soon. The invitation, first of all, is for those who are here without Christ. if you feel the call of salvation today in just a moment we'll stand and you have two options you can come to me during your time of standing and come to the front here and let me pray with you or as you leave we have deacons and deacons wives in rooms just outside as you exit you'll see them standing at the doors you can step into those rooms and they'll pray with you you can know that you've come to Christ today. Maybe you're here and God leads you into the fellowship of this congregation, into the membership of this church. Likewise, you can come and express that to me, or as you exit, you can express that to the deacons and wives, and they will answer any questions, pray with you, and take care of all the details. Father God in heaven, Lord, bless this invitation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?